It's showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, I am your host, Show. It is a pleasure to be back with you guys chatting some movies. And the thing bringing me back to the microphone uh, for this episode has been the recent Disney news about Star Wars, Marvel, and all of... Well, not all, but some of their other properties, uh, film-wise, under development. I will spend some time talking about uh, the TV shows, specifically for Marvel and Star Wars, if only because those are things that tie into the movies. Like If they didn't tie into the movies, I'd kind of say, eh, forget about it, just leave it. But uh, there are... there are. I mean, they're obviously going to be very popular, but they're, they do kind of kind of are related to the movies. So, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. Admittedly, since the last episode, I have not gotten to watch a whole ton of movies. Partly because it has just been absolutely insane at work. Just insane. A lot of people taking vacation. Some people uh, getting sick. Thankfully not with COVID, but some people getting sick either way. Kind of knocked them out of the scheduling uh, for weeks at a time. And then also, uh, one of my coworkers actually had a baby. So, uh, you know, super congratulations to them, to their family. Uh, but because of that, certainly it means that they are unavailable for work. So it uh, means that I uh, less time for pleasure and more time for work, right? So uh, here we are back again behind the microphone um, and not really talking about some of the more recent releases. Uh, I think the next episode, just to be clear, uh, we'll talk about Trial of the Chicago 7 and we'll also talk about Mank. I think those will be the last two movies uh, we devote some time to before the holiday season really gets going in earnest, right? And, and I, I kind of wanted to also do a Christmas movie special because I did actually get to see Happiest Season, uh, which was with uh, Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis about this couple. They're a couple who you know go home for Christmas and... You know, Mackenzie Davis has not come out to her parents, and some of the friction that kind of ensues. Aubrey Plaza also in that movie. Very good movie. I mean, it was a kind of a, your standard fare in terms of, uh, let's say, rom-com, Christmas rom-coms. But at the same time, it is new because it has to do with um, making a very, making a, a, a LGBTQ relationship normal, right? I mean, how often do we get to see that? So I applaud it for that, and it's it's funny, genuinely funny, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll give the full review in the next episode, if only because I want to pair it. We're going to watch Holiday as well, and maybe that Forrest Whitaker Christmas movie. I think those kind of five movies might be on the uh, menu, let's say, for the for the coming episode. Borat 2, maybe as well. Maybe we'll do a Sasha Baron Cohen double feature for that. But for now... As I mentioned, we will chat about the Disney uh, Disney Investor Call, Disney Investor Day, I guess. But yeah, let's get right to that. So with me, when it comes to my personal preferences, uh, as the as the noise there implies, uh, Star Wars is always very near and dear to my heart. Right? I mean, growing up, because obviously Star Wars has been something that that's existed long, well before I was born, certainly. Um, but Growing up, it has been something that I've always really held close to my heart, interacted with always from the time I was young, reading the books, you know, watching the movies over and over and over again on VHS tapes, just everything, right? And, you know, I remember we did the uh, Rise of Skywalker episode, I guess this time last year. Uh, I mean, we did two episodes on it. I did my own, and then we did uh, one with a couple friends, other fellow podcasters, my friends, and 
that was fun, but I mean, obviously I did not care for The Rise of Skywalker, but ultimately, any news about the franchise is something that I feel like I'll probably always devote some time to, so yeah, buckle up for that. Uh, Whether or not you like Star Wars, I mean, I I hope you do, because I think it'll be more enjoyable for you if you do, but yeah, Star Wars, you heard there the Darth Vader, uh, the famous Darth Vader breathing noise, right? Which apparently comes from a microphone, like a lav mic or something similar to it, placed inside a scuba inhaler. Like, you know those things you wear when you go scuba diving? I've never been scuba diving, but I've at least seen what they look like. Yeah, apparently a microphone placed inside, like, the valve, and then you just breathe in and out, and that's what it sounds like. So there you go, that's where that that sound comes from. But, yeah, Kenobi, the Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus TV show starring Ewan McGregor is uh, getting Hayden Christensen added as uh, Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. And it kind of makes me wonder if the reason for that wasn't because... I mean, because we've learned that this TV show is going to take place in between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, right? So in between Episode 3 and 4, ten years after the conclusion of Episode 3, because I believe, what, it's something like 25 years, 20 to 25 years, takes place in between those two movies. Uh, So if that's the case then you'll see a slightly older Ewan McGregor, which I suppose works considering, you know, he hasn't played Obi-Wan since, I'm just thinking about it, I guess since 2005, that's when Revenge of the Sith came out, right? So, I mean, you'll see a slightly aged up Ewan McGregor, you'll see a slightly aged up, well, I mean, I guess he won't be aged up, he'll just be under the armor for uh, Hayden Christensen, although I would be shocked if we didn't see some kind of flashback or some kind of scene where you see Hayden Christensen's face, right? Because, I mean, what would be the point of announcing he's coming back if he's not going to see, if you're not going to see his face at some point? Otherwise, you could have literally anyone be Darth Vader. I mean, we heard the news, sad news, unfortunately, a couple days ago that uh, Dave Prowse, the body of Darth Vader, and, of course, he acted, you know, a lot of physicality in the scenes with Darth Vader. He passed away relatively recently, so um, RIP to Mr. Prowse. But, I mean, that's what I mean. People, When people think of Darth Vader, unfortunately, they think of, they don't think of Prowse, I should say. They think of... James Earl Jones, right? So you must imagine that Hayden Christensen is going to show his face at some point. But yeah, there you go. Some news about Kenobi. Uh, Ahsoka getting her own show. And if you're a fan of Star Wars, you have probably watched in some capacity the new TV show The Mandalorian. And Ahsoka Tano, the Jedi, who everyone really loves. I don't really care for Ahsoka personally, mainly because she's in literally everything these days. But finally, she's getting her own TV show, uh, Rosario Dawson starring as Ahsoka, because of course she was Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. Uh, It is being referred to as a limited series, and it's also being uh, done by Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau, the guys behind uh, The Mandalorian. And they're also doing The Rangers of the New Republic, and I would imagine that's going to focus on, you know, non-Jedi stuff. Because uh, we've kind of seen some of the range, quote-unquote Rangers of the New Republic in The Mandalorian as well. So two spin-off shows from The Mandalorian. They also confirmed the Cassian Andor series. And of course, I think it's just called Andor. The O of Andor is like the Republic, or pardon me, the Rebel Alliance symbol. And, uh, I mean, of course, Cassian Andor being the main character, or the uh, one of the two main characters, let's say, uh, from Rogue One, played by Diego Luna, right? So he is going to reprise his role in what I would imagine is a prequel to Rogue One, right? Like, even before, because, you know, not to be a spoiler, but they all die at the end of Rogue One, right? So the death, they get killed by the Death Star. Some of the first people to ever get killed by the Death Star, right? I mean, they blow up the city on Jeddah, and then the next time they use the Death Star is on on Scarif, I think it was called? Scarif, yeah, the kind of tropical-looking planet. Also, Rogue One, I kind of think that movie is a little boring. Is that, is that a hot take? 
I, I'm not a sure. I'm not sure if that's a hot take or if that's an appropriately room temperature take. Let's say, right? I'm not sure. Let me know what you think. But yeah, Rogue One, not my favorite movie. But there you go. I mean, it's just slow, right? It just it takes a uh, takes so long to get going. But people argue that it might be worth it if only because you get to see Darth Vader chop up some 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 poor hapless rebel soldiers uh, at the very end of the movie, which is, I guess, what we're going to see from Hayden Christensen, going back to the Kenobi thing, right? So there you go. Uh, Cassie and Andor, uh, some other TV show stuff. Uh, the Bad Batch, an animated show. They were, of course, uh, they were introduced, I think, in Season 7 of The Clone Wars, which came out earlier this year in 2020, and they have actual footage from that TV show. That was quite an impressive display. <laughs> So that's going to come out. That is being billed kind of as a true sequel to The Clone Wars. Um, I wonder if we do eventually see a sequel to Rebels, if you're a fan of that. Uh, but no no official news on that. And uh, the final TV show news for Star Wars was The Acolyte, which involves the final days of the High Republic, which is the new era they're launching in January. It's like, what, 100 years or 150 years or something like that before the events of the prequels. So you'll see what, what events in the High Republic... Uh, transpire to lead into the days of the prequels, I guess. Like, before, like well before Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi were ever born. We'll see what happens there. I guess some people are speculating that this might be the uh, return of Darth... Or not return, but the uh, debut, perhaps, of Darth Plagueis and the return of uh, Emperor Palpatine, right? And I guess before he is officially even a senator i suppose right i mean you'll see you'll see what happens there so yeah a lot of filling in the blanks around the star wars universe and the film news from the star wars universe that we i thought was really interesting they confirmed i think we talked about this a couple of months ago but they confirmed that taika waititi uh who of course you know won the oscar for screenplay i think it was an adapted screenplay win for Jojo Rabbit at the Oscars last year. And uh, obviously he directs The Mandalorian. He's directed other things as well. The Hunt for the Wilder People, by the way, if you've never seen it, terrific movie. Funny, just has a really heartwarming story. Sam Neill, who played uh, the Doctor in Jurassic Park, the first couple of Jurassic Park movies, uh, he returns as the as the star there. I shouldn't say returns because it's not a franchise, but he is in that movie. Uh, but anyways, The Hunt for the Wilder People, probably Taika Waititi's best movie, even including Jojo Rabbit, I, I would say personally. But anyways, Waititi uh, confirmed by uh, Disney. I think it had been just reported by places like Variety and, and Hollywood Reporter, those kind of outlets, but confirmed by Kathleen Kennedy for an unnamed Star Wars movie and uh, this, I thought, was really interesting as well. I wanted to play a, a little snippet of this for you guys, uh, and then we'll touch on it. I love to move fast and speed of any kind. I think that that's because I grew up the daughter of a great fighter pilot, and every day I would wake up and go outside and look up and see my father and his squadron taking off and their F-4s roaring across the sky, and it was the most thrilling thing still I've experienced in my entire life. So when he lost his life in service to this country, I, it ignited a desire to, in me to turn all of that tragedy and thrill into one day making the greatest fighter pilot movie of all time. But try as I might and look as I did, I couldn't find the right story ever. I kept looking and looking, but I just couldn't find the right one until now. Now I found a movie about two things I love. So I'm going to see you very soon. Patty Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman and uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which as of right now has not yet come out. But still, I mean, 
you know, how often do you get female directors directing gigantic blockbusters? Like, I should I say blockbusters, right? I don't mean like indie movies or movies that are made for Oscars, but specifically for summer blockbuster tentpole movies, right? You don't get that very often, which is why it's so significant that Patty Jenkins was a success with Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman was a really good movie, and I really hope 1984 is as well. But uh, yeah, directing a Rogue Squadron movie, which I find fascinating because... Again, I mentioned before, I love, I love reading the Star Wars books. I gotta say, maybe that is the nerdiest thing I do, read the books. And uh, some of the earliest books I remember reading, certainly the Timothy Zahn books, the Heir to the Empire books. And if you haven't read, if you're a Star Wars fan and you like reading, read those books for sure. Uh, and, and some of the other books, that, kind of the next, the next ones I read after that were the Michael A. Stackpole and Aaron Alston Rogue Squadron books, right? And they have fascinating stories about Wedge Antilles and Biggs Darklighter. Certainly, you know, they can reference him because he was the, one of the characters that, like, dies in A New Hope. Um, I, I guess he was unnamed, I suppose, in the movie. Or maybe they mentioned his name once, I think. I mean, I haven't seen A New Hope in a long time. But he is uh, the character with a mustache. Remember, he dies in the, in the trench run with Luke. I think Darth Vader shoots him down right before you hear him say, The Force is strong with this one for the very first time, right? The Force is strong with this one. Yeah, there you go. So uh, we'll get some Rogue Squadron tales from Patty Jenkins. I wonder if we'll see uh, Michael A. Stackpole's work referenced. Apparently, Patty Jenkins gave him a bit of a shout-out on Twitter. So I wonder if they're out, they'll at least read that for reference because, man, it would be cool to see some of those kind of legends, quote-unquote, stories be uh, added to the Star Wars canon, the official Star Wars canon, I should say, right? Because before Disney bought them... I guess technically it was. There were like different levels of canon, like what is and what is not. But now there is one canon, and it is the Disney canon. Um, so to, to some people's dismay, to others' pleasure. Frankly, I kind of fall in the middle because, I mean, some of those stories were really cool, and some of them were god-awful. Some of them were just absolutely terrible, like Waru, the golden egg guy, and I don't know. There are some really bad ones, right? So I think I, I, think I like the idea, and then the kind of tact they're taking right now in, in as so far as they're just picking and choosing the best ones, right? I mean, you see Thrawn being name-dropped in The Mandalorian, and, you know, you have other things as well. So, anyways, well, I think it's really exciting to see that take place. But, uh, yeah, Patty Jenkins, again, directing The Mandalorian. We'll get to the Marvel stuff here as well, but some other uh, non, non-Star non Wars, non-Marvel Disney news, which I thought was really interesting. So we'll get to that right now. Uh, they confirmed the fifth Indiana Jones movie is set to begin shooting in 2021. And uh, I guess that means that stars Harrison Ford. I don't know 100%. I, I would imagine it is, right? Like, I don't think they've said otherwise. I wonder how much action Harrison Ford is going to do in 2021, right? Like, he must be in his late 70s, early 80s. I haven't officially checked, right? I mean, he he must be. He's he's. I love Harrison Ford. He is my favorite actor, period. Uh, and, of course, we heard Sean Connery passing away. He's obviously Mr. Connery. Sir Sean Connery, I should say, uh, was 90 years old at his at his death. So uh, R.I.P. to Mr. Connery. Sir Connery, uh, of course, uh, Henry Jones Sr. in the last Indiana Jones. I shouldn't say last. It's not the last one. The best Indiana Jones movie, though. Is that a hot take? I like The Last Crusade better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's another one for you. But anyway, anyways, the fifth one coming out in 2021. They also announced that Hocus Pocus 2 
and Three Men and a Baby are getting made. Or I should say, Hocus Pocus 2 and Three Men and a Baby remake. So they're remaking that movie with Zac Efron. And I gotta say, Zac Efron, if there was somebody I'd feel personally comfortable with remaking that movie, I guess it would be him, but we'll have to see who the other two guys are. Uh, they announced the cast for The Little Mermaid. Holly Bailey plays Ariel, who I believe is one half of the um, pop group, Chloe and Halle. Uh, and look, I don't listen to them a ton. My sister kind of listens to them more a little bit because they're more her age group. But man, she, this girl has a set of pipes on her. Like, she can sing. My goodness. So <laughs> I think that's a perfect choice for Ariel. Uh, Sebastian is being played by David Diggs of Hamilton fame, if you recall. And he has some of my one of my more favorite songs from that movie. Francis following us to revolution, there is no more status quo. But the sun comes up and the world still spins. I have life, I had draft a declaration, then I said I gotta go. I gotta be in Monticello, now the work at home begins. So what did I miss? Kind of cool to see David Diggs uh, from Hamilton, like I mentioned, you heard the song there, uh, in uh, The Little Mermaid. Uh, We also are getting uh, Javier Bardem as King Triton, uh, Jacob Tremblay as Flounder, and Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. I think Aquafina is playing Scuttle. So, yeah, Scuttle and Flounder, Jacob Tremblay, and Aquafina, which is kind of really funny. So uh, that'll be kind of a fun cast, I think, uh, for The Little Mermaid. And then we also learned that they are making... A live-action Pinocchio. They're continuing with the live-action kind of remakes of the the Disney classics, let's say. And it's being... It it says starring Tom Hanks uh, and directed by Robert Zemeckis. So, of course, Hanks and Zemeckis have that long collaboration history going all the way back to to the Polar Express. So i got to imagine it'll look much like the Polar Express, probably like better by 2020 whatever standards, right? 21, 22, 23. I would imagine that this means that Tom Hanks is like the, the narrator slash Geppetto. Right, he probably is going to be both with some unnamed, unknown, relatively unknown actor playing uh, Pinocchio himself. I wonder if you might not see kind of like the Polar Express. If you might not see someone like Tom Hanks play multiple roles, like the I forget what the guy's name is, but the evil like circus guy owner who owns the land that where you know where kids turn into animals. Remember Pinocchio turns into a donkey or something, and it's being run by this kind of like carnival-y kind of guy. I wonder if might that might not be also played by Tom Hanks if for looking at Robert Zemeckis' history. But who knows? Anyway, Zemeckis and Hanks doing Pinocchio. And an interesting note, uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, which looks very much like Korra, uh, Legend of Korra, if you're into that TV show, but uh, the new kind of adventure movie from Walt Disney Animation. Uh, And it's going to theaters and Disney Plus simultaneously in March. Premier Access is back. We still don't know how successful it was for Mulan. I doubt we'll ever know. But uh, yeah, it's coming back for... 30 bucks it's coming back for, so we'll see how many people actually pay for it. I really do wonder how much piracy plays a role in these things. And We'll have a conversation after we talk about all these uh, discussions here about the Disney stuff, about the news that Warner Brothers is releasing their slate of 2021 movies all on HBO Max. I really want to get to that as well, but for this one, premiere access for Disney Plus for Raya and the Last Dragon. I think that's a good choice. Because I wonder how many people are going to feel comfortable going back to the movie theaters in March. Maybe things change by May when news of the vaccine is starting to kind of roll around the world a little bit. But yeah, there you go. And Soul, this is not a new news, I should say. If, if you're following this kind of stuff, you probably already know this. But Soul coming to Disney Plus on Christmas Day for free. 
for free is coming to Disney Plus. So I, I get, I, I wonder if it's not just an aspect of the Oscars being pushed back and they want this to be streaming and playing before the end of 2020 because you got to imagine that Soul is going to win the best animated Oscar, right? I, I, I don't know that very many other movies would probably hold a candle to this particular one because by all accounts, it's like Inside Out, but better. And Inside Out was one of the year's best-reviewed movies. So for sure watch Soul. I will be watching it uh, absolutely on Christmas Day. I think this was the most interesting of the kind of Pixar slate, I suppose, was that Lightyear, they're making a movie called Lightyear, it's being released in 2022, and the main character is being voiced by Chris Evans of Captain America fame, it's the story of the person the Buzz Lightyear toy is based on in the universe of Toy Story, okay, so I guess in this universe, because if you remember, Andy, the main character who who gets the Woody toy and who gets the Buzz Lightyear toy, remember he's like a cowboy fan, which is why he has Woody, and then it kind of transitions to him being a fan of Buzz Lightyear. Because if you remember, in Toy Story 2, I think it was, Wayne Knight uh, from Jurassic Park and certainly uh, Seinfeld as Newman, if you remember him, remember he's like the evil toy collector and he steals Woody uh, when to- Woody kind of like accidentally had fallen into the yard sale and then he like breaks open the box and he steals Woody and they never really notice the, the mom never really notices, but the mom says to him that Woody is a family heirloom, implying, I think, that Woody is a very old uh, very old toy. And then you see later in that same movie, you know, you meet the Kelsey Grammer character um, and the uh, Joan Cusack character. Remember, they were the other toys like, in the set, and it was implied that they were also old toys because they were made for some kind of TV show called Woody's Roundup. Woody's Roundup. Yeah, see, there you go. Remember that? Remember that uh, song? I, like, I I feel like that was just yesterday that we got to see that. Apparently, they're a real band. My roommate actually listens to their other songs, which I think is really funny. Not that, I mean, he can listen to whatever he wants, but, I mean, you know, very old-ish music. So it was, I feel like, again, said, uh, if not outright implied, that uh, Woody is an older toy from the 60s. And Buzz is not, right? Buzz is a new toy, but you would imagine that if he was made as a toy for the space race, that he was, you know... Uh, he was modeled after a real person um, or, you know, a caricature of a real person because, of course, I think in in real life he is named Buzz, obviously Buzz Aldrin, like one of the one of the two astronauts who went up to the moon, right? So, anyways, that's uh, some inter- interesting little tidbit. Here we are in 2020 getting a movie based on a character who inspired a toy in the universe of Pixar, which is kind of funny to say. But, yeah, Lightyear in 2022. <laughs> So that's all of the Star Wars news. There were a couple of things we didn't get to. There was an animated show coming out and a couple of other smaller things. But I think most of the things we spoke about were the most pertinent items from the Star Wars universe. And same goes for all of the non-Marvel Disney things as well, uh, like Hocus Pocus 2 and the sequels and remakes and so on. But yeah, I think moving on to Marvel, I mean, again, similar situation as Star Wars. uh, Mostly TV shows that have been... 
said to tie into, let's say, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And look, we can have a conversation later, maybe not in this episode, because I feel like it's something it's something you have to get a guest for and talk about with them, the idea that Marvel movies are not actually quote-unquote movies. They're not like films, let's say, as per Martin Scorsese. And a lot of people agree with him. I don't say I entirely disagree, I think. It would be better for that to be a conversation with another person instead of me just giving you my take, right? But anyways, that's a whole other thing as it pertains to this particular Disney Investors Call, as we're calling it, Disney Investors Day, whatever. More TV shows that will tie into the larger cinematic universe as a whole. Uh, We're learning that uh, WandaVision, the official start date for that on Disney Plus is January 15th. That movie is going to have ties to a couple of other Marvel Cinematic Universe titles, uh, specifically Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That'll see the return of Rachel McAdams, Doctor Strange 2, essentially, right? Uh, And Spider-Man 3, as we've learned, uh, it'll apparently have... Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Alfred Molina is going to reprise his role as Doc Ock. So you got to imagine there's some multiverse things happening in Spider-Man 3. Captain Marvel 2 is uh, scheduled for November. That'll feature uh, the Monica Rambeau character from WandaVision and Miss Marvel as well. Cool to see uh, a brown woman get a chance and a lot of brown directors get a chance to helm episodes of that TV show, which is really cool. The casting process was vast. When we discovered Iman, we knew that she was Kamala Khan. It was a unanimous decision. Yeah, I can't comprehend this right now. And then, of course, we've got a really incredible team of directors. Bilal Falah, Adel Al-Arabi, Mira Menon, and Sharmin Obeid Chinoy. And all of them are taking the material and elevating it. So human. It's about a teenager figuring out who she is and about relationships. Family and friends is at the heart of the MCU canon. Eternals is on track. Blade, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp 2 is also on track as well. Jonathan Major is going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp 2. Kang the Conqueror, Catherine Newton, is going to be in that as well. And then Thor, Love and Thunder, so Thor 4 uh, is also happening as well. Christian Bale is going to play the villain there. Gore the God Butcher. I've only read one comic with him, but yeah, I think that's another one of those like time travel uh, timeline, alternate timeline stories. So don't be surprised to see multiple Chris Hemsworths. And uh, I mean, we know Natalie Portman's going to be the next Thor. That's already been announced. So don't be surprised to see uh, a lot of weird universe hopping, universe crossovers happen for that. And uh, Kevin Feige also noted that Marvel will not be recasting the role of Black Panther in Black Panther 2 out of respect for Chadwick Boseman. Guess that means the days of T'Challa are done. Not necessarily the days of Black Panther, but the days of T'Challa. I do find that kind of interesting, um, if only because I've seen some people compare that to, well, I mean, there are multiple Batmen. Why can't there be multiple Black Panthers? But I suppose because this is the same continuity, you can't really have a different actor do it. Like they have for Don Cheadle and uh, Terrence Howard with the whole Iron Man thing, or certainly Edward Norton and Mark Ruffalo for uh, for the Hulk. Not Iron Man, I should say, War Machine, but still. They've done it before, recasting actors, but never because an actor died, right? So I think that's certainly out of respect to him for that. Um, if they were to reboot Black Panther, like if they were to reboot the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which they'll probably never do, let's be real, but if they were to ever reboot it, then you might see someone come back as T'Challa, but I feel like that question was kind of rumbling around, so I kind of understand not recasting him uh, and getting someone else charismatic with the gravitas, because uh, Chadwick Boseman certainly had that in spades, uh, so you'll, you'll need someone who has that kind of attitude I would imagine for Black Panther in Black Panther 2, but uh, I'll be looking forward to that. I mean, 
Black Panther 2 is going to be really fun, if only because for this podcast, <laughs> the starting music is from the trailer of Black Panther, right? So kind of fun. I, I mentioned that when we talked about Chadwick Boseman a couple of, a couple of months ago. And then uh, Phage capped the presentation with the announcement of John Watts directing a Fantastic Four film. So the first family of the Marvel Universe returning to, uh, to Marvel, being added to the MCU. And I'm sure the multiverse whole, the whole multiverse thing will be a, a part of, well, where were the Fantastic Four this whole time? Where were the X-Men this whole time? I'm sure that's a part of it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see that going forward as well. So the last thing I wanted to get to on this episode was, as I mentioned before, the news that Warner Brothers is pushing all of its 2021 movies to HBO Max, right? Because how often do you really get to talk about HBO Max or really any streaming service for a big news-breaking item beyond just, well, this movie's coming out now? Before a week ago, it probably would have been, the news item probably would have been Wonder Woman 1984, so Wonder Woman 2 was going to be coming out on HBO Max anyways, right? Because they, they didn't want to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, kind of like Black Widow has been for Marvel. Uh, but they did not do that for Warner Brothers. It is coming out... Either way, it was coming out on Christmas Day, I think. It might not be exactly Christmas Day, but at some point before the end of 2020, you would have otherwise still seen Wonder Woman 2 on a streaming service if you couldn't make it to a theater, right? But here we are, Warner Brothers pushing everything to HBO Max. The movies it's planning to release for now, there are a number of them, but I think the ones that are most notable, Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, uh, a next Conjuring movie, Space Jam in the Heights, uh, The Suicide Squad, Matrix 4, Dune, right? King Richard, there are a lot of movies being pushed here. And here's the thing, right? The headlines are that they're being released simultaneously on HBO Max. So it's not as though all the movies I just listed are coming out simultaneously. They're not coming out at the same time, but they will play in theaters simultaneously. So that should, in theory, keep the relationship with movie theater distributors in the United States, like AMC and Regal, fairly intact, I would imagine. But even so, I mean... We don't know for sure what's going to happen there. Uh, Obviously, I've said before, I'm in Canada, in Toronto, so who knows what the relationship for Cineplex will be. Um, HBO Max, of course, is only gettable, only attainable in America. And Now, I I suppose I and you, if you're listening outside of America, could, in theory, pay for legally uh, a subscription to HBO Max and then use a VPN, I guess. But if you don't want to use any workaround, I don't think there is a real option Here in Canada, we have Crave, and Crave TV is attainable via Bell Services, Bell Canada, Bell Media, right? And uh, even even though that is how you provide Bell, I work for Rogers, funnily enough, so I work for the competition, but either way, Crave still doesn't have everything from HBO Max. Like, some things for HBO Max are on Crave, but not everything, like that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion special is on it, but not other things, for example, so I find that really interesting. I'm sure the title's available could change depending on delays um and it's just it it clearly just goes to show that first of all this is an aspect of living in the pandemic and you know it obviously wouldn't happen otherwise but i'll be really interested to see what the split for these distributors again like amc and regal in the united states what the split is between the studio warner brothers and the distributor because they may not have a choice but to agree to this but at the same time i wonder i really wonder if Warner Brothers will give them a more favorable split of profit because otherwise, what would be the point of releasing it in theaters, right? Like if you if you were taking seventy five percent of the profit, I wonder if now Warner Brothers will have to take 
60% of the profit or 50% of the profit or even less because they're getting 100% of the profit from people signing up to HBO Max, right? I'm sure they're wanting this to push more subscribers to their platform, but is the subscriber gain mitigated by piracy? Is it mitigated by what? Uh, simply not having HBO Max available in anywhere, any country outside of the United States of America? I honest, Honestly, I wonder. I really do wonder. Simple decision on the Warner Brothers side of things. But yeah, for everyone else, I mean, not looking good for filmmakers because people like Christopher Nolan, Denise Villeneuve, a Canadian director of Dune, a lot of people have come out and slammed it, right? And on, on, look, on one hand, and we'll get to their comments, because on one hand, you look at what uh, the CEO of AT&T, which of course owns Warner Brothers, he told a couple of uh, months ago, he told this to investors, okay? He said about theatrical releases in 2021, he says, we're not optimistic. We're not looking that we're seeing here, expecting a huge recovery in theatrical moving into the early part of next year. We're expecting it to continue to be choppy. We're having to evaluate all of our options and keeping them open. So this is clearly <laughs> one option, that's for sure. does make you wonder what happens to theaters, though, right? I mean, 2020 has been just a devastating year for the theatrical industry. So, I mean, c- considering people already kind of were moving towards watching things on the small screen at home, I do wonder if... Because they said they, they're doing this for all of 2021. I wonder if this changes anything going forward. Will this shift people's habits? I mean, it's only one studio, but if, for example... Warner Brothers is successful with their first couple of major tentpole movies. Does that mean that Disney will follow suit and Disney owns like what? 60% of Hollywood it feels like at this point? Not not necessarily good. I mean, I just spent the entire episode talking about Disney properties. That's not always good for competition, right? It's always good for cinema and film. So I am genuinely curious as to how this affects not just the bottom line of these companies, but how it affects the movie-going experience going forward. And I mentioned before the directors who are just slamming this decision, right? Christopher Nolan, I mentioned his name. He is very unhappy to release all of his 2021 uh, movies on HBO Max. And here's what he said. He said, Some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. Warner Brothers had an incredible machine for getting a filmmakers out everywhere, both in theaters and in the home, and they are dismantling it as we speak. They don't even understand what they're doing. The decision makes no economic sense, and even the most casual Wall Street investor can see the difference between disruption and dysfunction. Now, look, I've not have not entirely uh, interacted with uh, HBO Max because, again, I'm not in America, but it seems a little harsh from Nolan to call them the worst streaming service because I'm sure there are worse ones. But at the same time. Warner Brothers has been the home of Christopher Nolan forever. I mean, I think the what the last nine straight movies of his have been made via Warner Brothers. So for him to say that, pretty big news. I also find it really interesting that maybe market data would have shown this on its own, but Christopher Nolan is certainly part of this at the core, right? I mean, I saw Tenet. I talked to you guys about Tenet. I did not like Tenet. I think I think Tenet may be one of his worst movies, if not if not the worst movie uh, from the Nolan canon, right? And uh, either way, he basically forced Warner Brothers to put that movie back into theaters, right? Like, for four months leading up to the release of Tenet, you would just constantly hear about how Tenet was going to save movies, and Tenet is going to be the return of the theatrical experience, and people are going to flock to theaters to see Tenet. So first of all, 
It was a confusing movie, hard to follow, a little too smart for its own good, had some cool action sequences, but all things considered, a little lower on the scale versus some tentpole Marvel movie or Dune, maybe, or anything like that. And because, I mean, I don't know how much money Tenet lost, but I bet you it's a lot. I bet you it's a ton of money. And I bet Warner Brothers looked at that and said to themselves, man, we cannot have a repeat of the situation. We cannot repeat the situation with Wonder Woman. We cannot. We cannot repeat the situation with Dune. We cannot repeat the situation with Godzilla vs. Kong. And of course, those movies, all of them are coming out now on HBO Max for this deal. So I, I gotta say, I'm not, I'm not saying it's Christopher Nolan's fault. I just realized that's maybe what it sounds like. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I do think it's fascinating to hear his comments after... What he did and what Tenet did in terms of box office numbers probably is a core consideration when it comes to the decision made by Warner Brothers. I mentioned Denise Villeneuve as well, again, Canadian director. Uh, he made Sicario, he made uh, Arrival, and now he's working on Dune. And here's his, uh, his commentary. He wrote this essay for Variety, if you want to read it. But here's part of that. He says... With this decision, AT&T has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. There is absolutely no love for cinema nor for the audience here. It is all about the survival of a telecom mammoth, one that is currently bearing an astronomical debt of more than $150 billion. Therefore, even though Dune is about cinema and audiences, AT&T is about its own survival on Wall Street. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, AT&T decided to sacrifice Warner Brothers' entire 2021 slate in a desperate attempt to grab the audience's attention. Villeneuve does actually go on to kind of rip WB itself. He does kind of echo what Christopher Nolan was saying, going on to say, Warner Brothers' sudden reversal from being a legacy home for filmmakers to the new era of complete disregard draws a clear line for me. Filmmaking is a collaboration. Reliant on the mutual trust of teamwork and Warner Brothers has declared they are no longer on the same team. And look, Villeneuve did also say in this essay, okay, he also said, and I quote, a positive and powerful addition to the movie and TV ecosystems. That's what he's describing streaming services as, right? But then he goes on to say, streaming, and I quote, can't sustain the film industry as we knew it before COVID. And the point that Villeneuve here is making is a pretty good one, because he's basically saying over the course of this essay that box office potential being squandered, box office potential being wasted by putting Dune on a streaming service at the same time it's in theaters essentially makes it harder to determine whether or not it's actually a success, right? Because if you had the choice between going to see a movie in the theaters during a worldwide pandemic or watching it in the safety and comfort of your own home where you can pause it and go to the bathroom, you can buy your own snacks, you can buy your own popcorn, you can make your own food, you can have friends over or, I mean, I guess that's the point of COVID, you shouldn't be having friends over. But I guess the, the idea of, like, I, I have a roommate who, who I've been living with for years, I can watch it with him or I can give my HBO Max login to my mom and my mom and my sister and my brother and my dad can watch it at home separately from me, right? Or I can I can Netflix party it to a degree. I mean, I know that's not really a thing for all platforms, but still, you can have a conversation with other friends watching it. Like, all of that is great for the consumer, but it's not so great 
for filmmaking and for theaters and actually seeing dollar results from a movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I do think that there is some, again, I use the word you know dollar signs and so on. I do think that is a big part of Christopher Nolan and Denise Villeneuve being against it. At the same time, for example, you look at Gal Gadot. She actually came out in support of the Warner Brothers HBO Max decision. She says... The idea of having people to be able to watch Wonder Woman 1984 on a Christmas morning just warmed my heart. And look, I I believe she's being genuine, but at the same time, she and Patty Jenkins are getting one-time deals from uh, from Warner Brothers in terms of a payday, right? Like it was reported she was getting what several million dollars in terms of an advanced payout uh, in anticipation of people, I guess, signing up to HBO Max. In, in, in order to move it, because she, I guess the way she would have gotten paid via this would have been after the studio takes its cut from the box office, where they, they sift through it all and they say, okay, this much money go, we're actually making this much money, even though, you know, Hollywood accounting and Hollywood filmmaking is just a sham, it's just a crock anyways, but she probably wouldn't have gotten paid until afterwards, and she got paid up front. People like Christopher Nolan and Denise Villeneuve and other people for who are on this platform, who are getting their movies coming out later in 2021, probably are not going to receive the same deal. So them slamming it and her not slamming it, I do think is financially motivated. And you got to think as well that John Chu, for example, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who were doing the In the Heights movie, as I mentioned before, I mean, they specifically said they chose Warner Brothers because they felt, like Villeneuve mentioned, it was a, a legacy home for films. It was a great partner and, you know, even though the movie was supposed to come out this past summer, you know, obviously the pandemic bumping into next year, they felt comfortable that it would still be seen in theater because for a musical, that kind of movie probably is pretty important to be seen in a theatrical audience, right? Now, Hamilton was a little different, but that's not a movie, right? Hamilton's not a movie. It's just a recording of a Broadway performance that you can watch virtually anywhere versus an actual theatrical experience, a a musical turned into a movie meant to be seen on the big screen. So I'm sure they're pissed as well. So all of this, I think, is fascinating. I think Nolan's reaction is fascinating. I think Villeneuve's reaction is fascinating. Lin-Manuel Miranda and John M. Chu. Gal Gadot as well, even though she's on the opposite side of things. I think it's all absolutely fascinating, and I cannot wait to see what happens. I wonder if Warner Brothers will either pay those guys out as well and be like, hey, please shut your mouths. Please don't say anything more to worsen this situation because we think this is going to be great. Because if they don't, or if they don't at least reverse course somewhat, if they don't damage control somewhat, they don't pivot away from not putting their movies on this platform, but if they don't change something... I mean, judging by the tone of people like Christopher Nolan, Denise Villeneuve, I wonder if they might not risk damaging the the reputation of Warner Brothers as a studio. And again, I mentioned maybe Disney might follow suit. Maybe they might not, right? Maybe other studios like A24 and other, I mean, maybe I shouldn't compare A24 to Disney and Warner Brothers considering the relative newness of A24. But at the same time, you guys know what I mean, right? Like, if... This is the fallout. If filmmakers don't want to work with them, then maybe they don't want to do that. On the flip side of that argument, if everyone does it, where are these filmmakers going to go, right? So it's such a double-edged sword, essentially for both parties, right? It cuts both ways for everybody, uh, not just for one person. So will be really interesting to see uh, how the cookie crumbles when it comes to the streaming decision, because this is absolutely the biggest news for streaming, not just in the pandemic, but maybe of our entire lives thus far. That's it from me today. Like I said before, no actual movie review discussion, just more of a discussion on some of the news that came out over the past week, the HBO Max stuff. 
uh, certainly Disney investors call. Isn't it funny that people get hyped up for an investors call? Like consumers get hyped up for an investors call. Like you would think that the only people in, in a quote unquote regular world that would get hyped up for an investors call would be, you know, shareholders, owners or whatever. Right. But no, it's kind of treated almost like D23 or a, a convention or you know, Comic Con or something like that. It's weird. It's a like late stage capitalism, which obviously enables the very existence of this podcast is a weird place to be. But here we are. And uh, 2020 makes it even weirder as it has all year. Crazy to think that we're in December. I mentioned before, no movie reviews in this one. We will do some movie reviews before the end of the year. I think I mentioned that I'd seen Borat 2 uh, but I want to kind of include that in a review episode, uh, like I said, with Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank, now that Mank is out, since I'm sure that will be a... I don't know how major a player it will be, but certainly a player at the Academy Awards, which have been moved to April, I believe. Not in not in February, as we usually are used to. Not following the Super Bowl. That uh, has come to define my Februaries, right? It's uh, later in the year, and streaming services are going to be a very big part of that this year. So uh, that's going to be really fun to kind of continue to disseminate with you guys uh but yeah so mank trial of the chicago 7 and probably borat 2 and then the holiday movies as well so maybe we'll get a couple episodes out in the next couple of weeks i know i always make those promises and then i screwed up royally but i i now officially have my schedule uh for work from now until the first week of january now that everyone's vacations requests are in and all the shift changing has been done and you know we've all uh, drawn the short straws for the various days so yeah i'm, I'm sure i will get some uh movie reviews in before the end of 2020 but until then Thank you so much for listening, as always. It's been a pleasure to chat with you guys again, as always. Hope you stay safe out there, and of course, have a great night. <laughs>